Well, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome again from uh, from me as well to worship, and it's good to be with you this morning. And I'm I'm looking around a little bit because you will have noticed it being a little bit different than what we've had uh, up until now. I'm staring at a true array of cables and connections and screens and cameras and buttons. And I'm amazed at the skill that God has given these men and so thankful uh, for the work that they're doing uh, to make sure that we can stream these services live. And also just super thankful for a fantastic worship time this morning. Um, our team is still here and, and it sounded fan- sounded great in here. I'm just sure hoping it sounded great for you guys as well. And um, it really helped me to focus on God this morning. Um, we uh, have been looking at, and just recently we've been looking at the story in, in Exodus and using that to help us to understand God's character. And um, as you've seen over the weeks, we've moved through a few definitions, um, uh, ways that God defines his character and defines himself in Exodus. Um, you know, and the story... Uh, Behind this a little bit, <clears throat> just to get you up to speed, or if you're looking for the watching for the first time, God's people had behaved badly. Um, worse than that, they they behaved quite treasonously. Um, God had made a covenant with them, and He had taken them out of Egypt, and He said, I, "I want you to be My people, and I will be your God." And they had made promises that that they would they would honor him and love him above all. That there would be they would have no idols. They'd left a, a nation behind full of idols, and they were now going to do away with all that. And it was just going to be God, and God was going to love them. He was going to take them to the promised land, and he made a covenant, a set of promises of what he would do and what they would do, and and quite enthusiastically they'd agreed. Um, but very shortly afterwards, um, Moses goes up to the mountain to to get these 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 promises or these established covenant promises down on on stone tablets, and he's gone just a little bit too long, and the people start wondering what's happening. They start doubting: was that really God? Um, and at the end of that, if you've read the story, the event is they make this golden calf because they need something to worship. It seems as though idolatry is in the heart of man and fixed in the heart of man well you know Moses is angry God is really angry and God gets to a point where he wants to do away with them and Moses steps in and appeals um, for God's mercy there are some that die there is consequences for some of the people and it's quite a horrible time for the nation of Israel and the um, just as a part of the story, the gold calf is is then ground to dust, and the people are made to to drink water mixed with that gold dust. <clears throat> they're very humbled and they're scared, and Moses goes up to beg for mercy on their behalf. After all, they had promised, they had made a covenant, and they'd broken it. Well, God does have mercy. Um, he uh, Moses goes to the tabernacle and, and talks with God and, and asks God to have mercy on his people and, and appeals to you know God's um, <clears throat> the, the way the nations would see God. God does have mercy and invites Moses back up the mountain to do a redo of getting those covenants down on stone. But before they get down to it, this is where our story comes in, God tells him 
in terms, uh, in, in no uncertain terms, God explains who he's dealing with, who God is, his characteristics, uh, his nature, um, who he is, who the nations will see. And Moses had asked the question, you know, who will the nations see? And God says, this is who I am. And these are the few verses that we've been focusing on in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He says to Moses, this is who I am. This is the Lord, the Lord. This is who you're dealing with. This is what defines him. This is what sets him apart. This is who Moses and the people and the nations around will know and see. The people must know this. And as we read the word, we'll see right through the pages and through the ages and the generations that these words are repeated as a reminder to his people again and again and again. This is our God. This is who he is. This is what he's like. And this is how he will act. Because in his character, in his nature, there's a definition of how he's going to act. God is revealing his absolute and dependable character and nature. Not just who he is right then and there, not just who he is, but who he will always be, who he will consistently be forever. I will be like this. I will act like this. This is a covenant. This is a promise. And as we look at history, Israel's history, and, and even our history in the world's history, history will reveal Israel's history and our history will show us that that coven is so often one-sided. But that's a whole other sermon, isn't it? So we've looked at compassionate. We began with looking at compassionate, that he doesn't just have compassion, he is compassion. We've looked at God is gracious, grace, favor, that that favor is extended from God uh, to us. It's not dependent on us. We looked last week at slow to anger. No, and, and I wrote this down in my notes last week when Glenn was preaching. No anger and blow anger is not good. Slow anger is good. That's a product of love. And I don't know if you all noticed that. I'm sure a number of you got that down. But even how Glenn explained to us, and that led us into this next one, abounding in love, that, that even anger is a product of love. That, that, that anger, that anger suggests care, and that's a product of love. And we're going to see that love this morning. This week we're looking at abounding in love and actually in our, uh, in our text it's abounding in steadfast love. And in this part of God's character this morning, there are two adjectives that help us understand the love that God's talking about. There are two, um, so God's talking about love but there are two adjectives in our text. One is abounding and the other is steadfast. An adjective describes what that love is like. So I'm going to go to steadfast first. Adding steadfast, or uh, some translations will add faithful, is really, really important. Um, as I did more reading on this, I discovered that um, we could not fit. I asked Phil about, you know, could we? We couldn't fit steadfast in there. It would have been too small to see. But steadfast is really, really important. 
because it's not just any love. Uh, love, the general word for love in Hebrew is ahava. Um, that's, it's nice. It's a, a positive word. It's a, it feels good and it is good. Ahava in Hebrew is love. It's a good thing. Steadfast love, however, in here, when we translate that back into Hebrew, steadfast love, as God describes himself, is hesed. Or some people put it with a C in front of it, chesed. It has a much deeper and much richer meaning. More than, uh, I love that color. Or, I love that meal. That's my favorite meal. I really love that. Or, I, I love that person. It's more than, I feel love for that person. Or, I feel love for that situation. And it's more than, you know, when we say, oh, don't you just love when this and that happens, or even more than, I love you. This word, steadfast love, chesed, appears in the Old Testament almost 250 times. So we, we, it's an important word. It's a word that we need to understand, that when God says that I am abounding in steadfast love, we want to know what that means, don't we? It's a... Hesed, the word, the Hebrew word for steadfast love, is kind of linked to covenant. It's a covenant form of love. It's, uh, a covenant is, is something that has a promise and an obligation. So hesed isn't just something that you can flip out and say, I love this. It's, it's a love that actually is steeped in covenant, in promise, in obligation. And in the Hebrew mind, using this word suggests a love that can never and will never fail. A love that, that perseveres under stress. <clears throat> a love that perseveres under stress even when it's unrequited. And we, we, we see movies and we read, if you read, um, my wife likes to read these old, Sue likes to read these old books of, you know, back in the, I don't know, the 1800s of love escapades. And, and you know, you often see the line, unrequited. Her love was unrequited or his love was unrequited. Hesed is a love that is persistent even when it's unrequited or even when it's unearned. <clears throat> it's a covenant promise word. You can't get out of this once you've promised it because it has consequences. Hesed is a love that you cannot uh, get out of or get out from under it because it has consequences. This steadfast love is a key attribute. And the indication that this is a really key attribute is because <clears throat> God actually mentions it twice in our scripture, doesn't he? Um, and he mentions it twice, and this kind of makes Moses a bit bold. When Moses hears this, he gets a bit bold. Have a look at verse 9, if, you can, if you've got your Bibles. Moses hears what God says, and he said, If now I've found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Moses understood that this word hesed, steadfast love, had consequences, um, was a promise and had obligations with it. And if God was going to obligate into that, that gave Moses an, an ordinary confidence or boldness to say to God, will you go with us then? These people, we're stiff-necked and we're a pain. Um, but go with us and be our God, you know, and, and take us as your inheritance. Moses is asking for something that he admits they don't deserve. 
His request is based on this new revelation of Hesed. Moses realizes that God will be true to his covenant, true to his promises. This is wonderful. This is actually breathtaking for Moses and the Israelites. We read over this so quickly and so easily. But when God used that word, that Hebrew word, that was breathtaking. <gasps> particularly in light of what they'd just done. Particularly in light of, of the way they had just broken covenant immediately. When they hear that God has abounding, steadfast love for them, this is breathtaking. They expected a God that was awesome. You know, they expected a God that was holy. They expected a God that was powerful. Maybe even compassionate at times and, and gracious when they humbled themselves. Maybe even slow to anger. But the great surprise is that he's a God of Hesed. A love bound by covenant that would go beyond feelings and emotion and would extend to action to engagement that would cause God to act and, and cause him to engage with his people. Duty-bound love. You know, and, and when you think of this covenant, this, this has said, this, this sense of God making a covenant with his people, it would not be lost on Moses and the Israelites. That would cast their mind back to the story of Abraham when, when God made that covenant with Abraham and God said to Abraham by walking through alone through the animals that were cut in two, if you know that, I think it's in Genesis 16, that story of, of where um, God makes a covenant with Abraham and normally both people would walk through the, the animals that were cut in two and, and both people would make that promise, if we break covenant, may it be like us as it is to these animals. And if you know the story, God walked alone through that and he said, if I break covenant, may it be like this. And if you break covenant, may it be like that for me as well. I will be faithful even if you are not. And the consequences of breaking covenant from either party, he was saying to Abraham, will be on me. And as we look through the word, as the word leads us all the way to Jesus, that's true, isn't it? So this was especially astounding considering that right now they'd failed badly in keeping covenant with God. Yet he still says this to them. And we read that time and time again. We read it in, and, and I think I, when I spoke on compassion, I was talking about how this, this scripture, these few verses in various forms appear again and again in Joel, in Nehemiah, in, in Micah. Micah is another story. It's a small book. It's a story of God's people just doing the wrong thing, behaving badly and God judging them. But at the end, God reminding them that he's a covenant God. And that he's abounding in steadfast love. And we see it in the Psalms, etc. as well. So steadfast love, has said, is a love that even when it's not reciprocated, when it's rejected or when it's spurned, it's steadfast. Has said in the Hebrew understanding is not just an inclination or a feeling either, as I was saying before. In the Hebrew definition, it includes action. If you go back to the Hebrew word hava, love, it's mostly just a feeling. It doesn't demand any action. You may act because of Ahava. You may act because you feel loving towards someone. <clears throat> but Hesed actually demands action. And God is attributing this kind of love to himself. It's a demonstrative kind of love. It's a kind of love that elicits, it draws out action. God doesn't, doesn't feel love. It causes him to act. His actions are a product of Hesed. 
and it would cause God to act, to take action for those that he loves many, many times. Saving them, providing for them, if you read through the stories, saving them, providing for them, having mercy on them, forgiving them, and finally, has said would be demonstrated in the cross. That would be the ultimate expression of Hesed, of covenant love, of steadfast love. I remember what he said to Abraham, I will bear the consequences of your failure to keep Hesed with me. I will restore it. I am a God of steadfast, faithful love. Paul says in Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, and um, he reminds us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Paul calls to mind that, that Hebrew, um, the word has said, and calls to mind that concept and reminds the listener and the reader of a God who is abounding in steadfast love. <clears throat> this is good news. Now, actually, it's great news for us, isn't it? It's not just great news for the Israelites. It's not just good news for those that are going through the, uh, those that, are, that we read about through the Word all up, and, up until Jesus, or even people in the New Testament and the New Testament church. This is good news for us. A God who has steadfast love for us. <coughs> Excuse me. I checked on cinnamon, synonyms for steadfast. I, and there was a huge list, so I didn't get them all down, but I'm going to give you a few. Because these are the this is what we understand about steadfast, unfailing, unflinching, unwavering, unchanging, unyielding, relentless, dependable, resolute. Uh, there was many more, but as you as you read these words, this is the kind of love that God says He has for us. It's unflinching, it's unwavering, it's un unwavering, it's unchangeable. It's relentless. That's the kind of love that God has for us too. It isn't just Israel. It's not just the New Testament church or those that were faithful. It's even when it's unrequited, even when it's not reciprocated, which in my case can be often. I don't know about you. I'm sure I'm not alone. <clears throat> This is not normal kind of love for us in our world, is it? This is not normal. Our love is not steadfast like that. The way that we love people, the way that we, we love each other, the way that we love God even, is not steadfast. You know, looking at um, what would I Googled, and, this will, and it took me to all sorts of weird places, so don't go there. I Googled, how do you stop loving someone or what would cause you to stop loving someone? Well, I ended up in these relationship pages. I ended up in all sorts of weird places. But here's how I kind of uh, congregated what I read. So there was, a few, there was lots of people that had, you know, eight steps to stop loving someone, eight things to do when someone doesn't reciprocate your love. I won't go through all eight. <laughs> the first one is pretty much universal. They say, distance yourself from the person. Then cut off communication. Then stop helping them or being involved in their life. Then stop caring. And finally, most of them said, find someone else. <laughs> I started thinking, what if God did that? What if God was not a God of steadfast love? But we have a God of has said steadfast love. 
When we distance, he draws near. When we stop communicating, he keeps speaking to us. When we stop caring or being involved, he continues to care. In fact, he reaches out to us. When we relocate our love somewhere else, his eyes remain fixed on us. That's the difference, isn't it? This is so encouraging and so comforting. Often we feel unworthy and actually we'd be right because we fail to keep our part of the covenant. But praise God that he doesn't. His love for us is great. It's big. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was trying to explain how big God's love was uh, and how we, we, we were not to think that it was small. And he says this, There is nothing little in God. His steadfast love is like himself. It's infinite. You cannot measure it. That's how great God's love is. So steadfast love has said it's not just something we hear about. We see it in action through the way that God leads and engages in our lives. And in the greatest expression of said, he demonstrates it in the cross, in Jesus. His steadfast, not shaky, unpredictable or occasional, his steadfast love is what saves us. It's actually what saves us. In Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 8, there's a great summary there, isn't there? <clears throat> I read from verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's the result of his steadfast love. These verses are soaked in hesed. Because of his great love and mercy, he acted. Because of his great love with us, for us, he didn't just feel loving and think, oh, I love them, but look, they're making a mess of it. He acted and sent his son Jesus and raised us up. What an encouragement, what a comfort. Hesed meant that through God and because of God, the Israelites got what they didn't deserve. For us, Hesed means that through Jesus, we got what we didn't deserve. So we're called to not just to define Hesed, not just to have great sermons on it and have warm fuzzies and think this is amazing how much God loves us and, and how his covenant <clears throat> and promise is that he will always love us. But we're called to do it too. The word calls us to do it too. Acts of Hesed by us, acts of steadfast love by us, extend God's image into the world. I mentioned Micah before, um, how Micah is a story of a people that, that uh, behaved badly and God judged them, etc. But then he went to instruct them. And, and Micah finishes like this, um, Let's have a look right at the end of Micah after quite serious judgment and, and quite strong instruction and quite bad behavior. Um, it says this in verses 18 to 20 of Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you, 
pardoning, pardoning, pardoning iniquity, that's hard to say together, and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will treat our, tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn, promised to our fathers from the days of old. We see that repetition there. People behaving badly, God judging them, God instructing them. But then the prophet reminding him, and yet this is who I am. But as I said, we're called to do it too because right in the middle of Micah, and Micah 6 verse 8, and a lot of people uh, know this verse, um, in, in, in his instruction, he says, He has told you what is good and what does the Lord require but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We're called not just to feel or experience or define hesed, steadfast love. We're called to enact it, to extend that love to the world, God's love to the world as well. Because he loves us and love in action, we're now called to do the same. In 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12, we're called, and it's very explicit, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who doesn't have love doesn't know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. We can see it. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected, seen in us. A set of wonderful verses that talks about the way that God's love propels us, uh, pushes us to be that to others. Right through scripture, God calls his people back to covenant with him. Again and again, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. My people will be like me to the world. We will be like God to the world. He reveals himself as a, a God of steadfast love for us, to us, and through us to the world. Now, I did say there were two ad adjectives, didn't I? We had steadfast and we also have the other is abounding. And it's kind of important too. Don't worry, it'll be a little bit of a shorter point than the last one. But it's a really important word, abounding. He doesn't just say, I'm a God of steadfast love. No, he says, abounding in steadfast love. Abounding and the root word of abounding is abundant. You probably figured that already. The Hebrew leaning in a lot of translations in the Hebrew word for abounding is words like lavish or copious. I don't know if you've used that word lately, you know, copious amounts of, you know, these are the words lavish, copious, inexhaustible, boundless and generous and never ceasing. That's the Hebrew understanding of when God uses that word abundant love, abounding love. And that kind of brings to mind, I don't know about you, but does that bring to mind the, the um, Lamentations verses for you? I wanted to have a quick look at them. We're just going to look at a few of them. They're very well known. And 
you know, we've, I thought we might sing the song, The Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases, but our, I probably didn't, you didn't get the memo, but uh, that's okay. Um, in Lamentations, that's what came to mind during this week for me when I was thinking about the steadfast love of the Lord. And, and in chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, um, we see him right there. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's that word abounding. His mercies never come to an end. Again, that Hebrew sense of abounding. They're new every morning, so they're fresh, they're copious, there's heaps of amount, there's lavish amounts of it. Great is your faithfulness. And then in 31 and 32, a little bit further on, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but, through, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Great is your faithfulness. That original word, great is your hesed, O Lord. God's love isn't situational. It's not to be found only when we humble ourselves or only when we get the sequence right or behave ourselves right. It's not only when we're in a season of connecting really well with God. You know those seasons you have where you know, your quiet times are great, you're understanding what you're reading and, and everything's really good. It's not only in those times. It's not only in times when you're praying heaps. And God's love is not only expressed in a religious setting like this or any other religious setting. God's love is not limited. It's not like unlimited internet. You know, have you, read, have you seen that? Unlimited internet. But if you read the fine print, it says subject to fair use. God's love is not subject to fair use at all. And we see that in the word, don't we? It's truly unlimited, truly, truly boundless, unceasing, new, fresh, and a full supply every day. And if we will just look, God's love is manifest in everything. It truly abounds everywhere in our life with God, in all areas. If we will look, we will recognize and acknowledge it. There's a great psalm, and I'm not going to read the whole psalm because we'll be here beyond lunchtime. But Psalm 136, if you ever get a chance to read that, there's this great psalm, and it's very repetitive. Um, when I was growing up, after dinner every, every, every day, after dinner, my dad would read a chapter of, of Scripture. And I don't know if this was true of you as a kid. And some chapters, hmm, they were okay. When you got to Psalm 119, we, we were in trouble. Um, and some chapters had a lot to say. And some were just repetitive. This is one of those. But when you read it, you understand something about God's steadfast love. And the psalmist wants us to understand every second line of this psalm, Psalm 136, for his steadfast love endures forever. It starts off, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then it goes on to, to say things about God. He does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. He spread out the earth. He created his steadfast love endures forever. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. He protected us. He saved us. And it goes on. And it goes on to describe all of the things that God does. And every time it describes one thing about God, it attributes it to the steadfast love of the Lord. That's how abundant. And there's a sense of abundance when you read that. I challenge you to read that for one of your quiet times. And just maybe even contextualize some of the language in there. It's repetitive for a reason. In all sorts of ways. And it talks about all sorts of 
different situations and, and ways that God has, that the psalmist sees God's steadfast love. And he's, maybe he's better saying, see, his steadfast love is always there if you'll just look. There is no area of our existence that it can't be seen either, of yours and mine, if we just look. We don't always recognize it. I don't. Our, my choices, our choices uh, and our sin can hinder us from seeing it. And at times we need reminding, we need help, we need things like a sermon like this or we need a life group or we need someone that prays with us. We need to be reminded of God's steadfast love and that it's abundant, it's enough. This is an important adjective for us. You can't tap out God's love, God's steadfast love. The gospel is the good news of said. If there's anything that's, that's, that's secretly hidden or not so secretly or that, that the gospel is founded on, it's this word said. The gospel is only good news because of God's steadfast love. It's a love that, um, that you can't outpace with your sin. You can't outsin God's love. There's a famous quote by Tim Keller, and, and many of you have probably heard this before, but here it is. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. God has said, God's steadfast love covers a multitude, all of our sin. It eclipses our prolific sin. It overtakes it. You know, now, you know, if I go on too much about it, now before we think, well, okay, then let's just sin away. Let me remind you of Paul's words, and we'll do a sermon on that one day again. We spoke about Romans. We did preach on Romans not long ago, where Paul says, well, so what should we say? Should we, you know, like I'm saying, so if this is true, should we just sin more? And he says, no. The answer is no. In the ultimate expression of Hesed, Jesus Christ died and our sinful desires and our sinful self died too. We now live in freedom with a heavenly Father who abounds in steadfast love. We're new with new desires. God said to Moses, and he says to us, this is who I am. I'm abounding in steadfast love. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. And I am abounding in steadfast love. They and we will get to hear this again and again. And they will see it and we have seen it. God kept his part of the covenant with his people. And like he said to Abraham, even if, no, actually, when you fail, I will bear the consequences of the broken promises. I will restore you back to the Father. And he did. He did that for you and I in Jesus Christ. And what's more, he continues to express that steadfast love that has said to us today and always, abundant steadfast love. Why is this such an important part of God's nature and character for us to know? Why is it so important for us just to stand still and, and focus on that this morning? Because steadfast love doesn't always abound in my life or yours. It doesn't always abound through experience or expression in my life or perhaps yours. But we learn from this this morning that we can come to a God who always does abound in steadfast love, who is faithful, 
who made a promise that he will never, ever renege on. In the presence of that kind of love, there's space for us to rest, repent, renew, and reset our lives, refocus our love, and live again in a love relationship like no other. In this morning, in early morning prayer, we looked through Psalm 107, and I want to ask you to, um, to read that this week and have a look at it. Psalm 107 is um, just a, the psalmist just goes through a set of circumstances, uh, things that could have happened, and, and he talks about the way that God has saved us. And each time the psalm is titled this, he said, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so about what? Let the redeemed of the Lord say, and he goes on and on. He says, then let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. A few verses down, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And in the end, whoever is wise, let him attend to, let him reflect on these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Do you know, when you do consider the steadfast love of the Lord, when you do consider said, when you do consider how much God, how far God went to express that love to you and I, then our only response is, let us thank God for his steadfast love. What a gift. What a great revelation. What a great reminder. Maybe you don't know that kind of love. Maybe you've never known it. Or perhaps maybe you're not sensing it right now. Perhaps it's a distant memory. Maybe you don't think you deserve, has said, a God that's going to be steadfast in his love. God's word says to us this morning, this is who he is. Remember when he says this is who I am, he's not sort of saying it's dependent on who you are. I am who I am. And like he did often with his people in the Bible, he reminded them and then he called them back to relationship with him. And today he says the same to us. He's calling us back. Maybe he's calling us back. Maybe he's calling you for the first time and letting you know that he is abounding in steadfast love. What a comfort, what a joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word again this morning. And we want to thank you for you, not just your word. We want to thank you for you, for who you are, for who you've revealed yourself to be. And, oh God, how often that revelation fades in my mind and in my life. But thank you that your love even does that. It revives me and reminds me of who you are. Lord, let us say and let us be thankful and say thank you, God, for your abounding, steadfast love. That's faithful even when I'm not. That doesn't wait for me to reciprocate. That, that lifts me out of the pit. That shows me the way to healing. That takes me to the cross, to the foot of the cross, so I can see the demonstrative act of your steadfast love in Jesus for me. Lord, I'm grateful. We're grateful. We thank you that that's who you are. And we thank you that you reveal that again and again. And I pray, Lord, that that would give us strength to come near to you, to draw near to you, to renew our relationship again every day, to taste those new mercies every morning. In Jesus' name, amen.